Thank you, uh, worship team. Yeah, how about that uh, rugby game last night? I, I heard uh, someone behind me blaming the ref. Um, not going to say who. <laughs> he put his hand up. Uh, maybe that forgiveness talk came at the right time, eh, Robert? Yeah. yeah. Start praying for Ben O'Keefe, was it? <laughs> Through gritted teeth. Uh, anyway, uh, as Matt said, we've been in a series um, that we started last week called Relationships, Relationships God's Way. Um, and as I shared last week, I, I think this series is really significant um, because I believe that our relationships as Christians are meant to be a marker of the Christian life. Um, when Jesus was asked like, how people will know that we are his followers, he said, they will know that you are my followers by the way you love one another, by the way you live in relationship to one another. And when he was asked what the most important command is, he said, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You must entrust yourself to him. And then out of that, you must love your neighbor as you love yourself. So it all comes down to relationships, our relationship with God and our relationship with others. And given that relationships are such a marker in, in the Christian life, we're going to spend four weeks to kind of look right across the relational spectrum. We're going to be looking at different uh, areas, relationships in general, specific types of relationships, and we're going to invite God's wisdom in to show us uh, how to live wisely in our relationships. So uh, if you weren't here last week, last week we talked about singleness. And probably the biggest thing I wanted people to get is singleness is not, a, not something to escape. It's a vocation to be celebrated. That often uh, the cultural idea of singleness is it's a season to get out of, that we're not complete, that we need to find someone else. But scripture actually celebrates it because it enables us to serve the Lord in a unique way, in a free way. And we talked about how we don't find our completion in another person, but we find our completion in God. In Christ, And so the encouragement was, if you're single at the moment, thrive in it, enjoy it, and uh, become whole as the Lord leads you, and um, that was what we talked about last week. And uh, if you weren't here last week and you're single or dating, I highly recommend you go back and, and take the time to catch up on that one. It's on the podcast, um, perhaps predictably, um, as Matt alluded to. This morning, we're going to be talking about uh, marriage. And as I said to married people last week, if you're single or you're dating, um, please don't roll your eyes and disconnect for the, for the next half an hour and say, this isn't for me. Um, marriage points to something bigger than marriage. It actually points to something of God's love for his church, God's love for the world. So regardless of your status, there's something here for you this morning. Um, you might also be married someday, or you might know people that are married. There's married people in this church. So uh, let's listen to this as a community and trust that God is going to speak to us all. Um, and I'd just like to pray before I get into my message this morning. Uh, Lord, um, we thank you that you are love, that you love people, that you love relationships. Lord, sometimes relationships are challenging, Lord, but they're also the most meaning things we have in life. Uh, Lord, we ask for your leading this morning. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would talk to each one of us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So marriage, God's way. Uh, as I did last week, I'm going to start off on the same note that uh, whether we're single or married, we, we have the same primary calling. Our first calling is to entrust ourselves to God. We are called to Jesus, 
by Jesus and for Jesus. And so our first response is to entrust ourselves to him. And then out of the richness that we receive from him, we're we're to love others. And it's important that I start there with marriage because we can't actually love our spouse the way God intends if we don't actually receive love from Christ. We've got to receive love from him. And out of the overflow of our relationship with God, we can begin to love our spouse in a way that the Lord wants us. Um, And that's the same regardless if you're single or married. Our ability to to love one another comes first from our ability to receive from God and to know love. Uh, Last week, we talked about how when you're single, there's a unique opportunity to serve the Lord. You perhaps uh, have a unique freedom. You haven't made vows. You haven't made a covenant to another person. So you have an opportunity to perhaps show the breadth and the width of Christ's love in a unique way. Now, equally, if you're married, you also have an opportunity to show Christ's love in a unique way. You've made a covenant with another person, and so you can show the depth of Christ's love by the way that you love your spouse, by the way that you entrust yourself to to your spouse. Uh, And this week, as I was reading through the scriptures, I have to admit I was a little bit challenged and slightly convicted about what they had to say about marriage. Uh, I got on my knees a few times before the Lord and uh, asked for help in this regard. I sent a couple of uh, I love you texts to my wife as I was convicted by the scriptures. Um, But I've come to the conclusion that as Christians, God's called us to love our spouse in a special way. That the esteem and the value that God has for marriage is very different to the esteem and value that the world has for marriage. Uh, And I want to start off this morning by illuminating that. And I want you to consider how healthy your view is of marriage uh, by considering your responses to these statements that are going to come up overhead uh, and that I'm going to read out to you. So the first statement is, I see my marriage as a prophetic sign of God's love for the church. Do you see your marriage as a witness, as a sign, as something that's a symbol of how much God loves the church and the world? I consider the quality and integrity of my marriage as the most important gospel message I preach. We often think about preaching the gospel. Do we consider the quality and integrity of our marriage the most important gospel message we preach? I place the highest priority on investing time and energy to build a healthy marriage that reveals Christ's love to the church and to the world. When we think about our priorities, is our marriage at the top of the list? I do not overfunction in the other spheres at the expense of my marriage. I experience a direct connection between my oneness with Jesus and my oneness with my spouse. Often we can think that I've got my relationship with Jesus, it's completely different to my wife's, but actually, or or my husband's, um, there should be an overflow there. Our oneness with Jesus should translate into our oneness with our spouse. Uh, And for me, if I'm honest, I found some of those statements pretty challenging. There's There's a lot of growth for me to do in this area, but for me, as a Christian who's married, I'm committed to pursuing the vision that God has for my marriage. Uh, And I'd love for married people in our church to commit to that as well. God values marriage. It's highly esteemed and it's worth pursuing. Whether your marriage is really struggling or whether you're thriving, God wants your marriage to be even better. Um, So I'd love for us as part of this church to commit to following God's way uh, with marriage. And uh, just to touch on that this morning, I want to share three keys for your notes Uh, to doing marriage God's way. My first key is this, make marriage your first ambition. Make marriage your first ambition. The word ambition is defined as a strong desire to achieve something. 
a strong desire to, to achieve something. And ambition can both be good and bad, depending on when it's directed. Uh, in the scriptures, the Apostle Paul talks a lot about bad ambition, selfish ambition, ambition that's looking to promote self, and it comes from a place of pride. But when ambition is directed in the right areas, it's beautiful and it's life-giving. And as married Christians, our first ambition shouldn't be our career, it shouldn't be our work, it shouldn't be our ministry, it shouldn't be our own dreams and hopes, but it should be loving our spouse. Having a healthy marriage should be our first ambition. Pete Scazzaro, the Christian pastor and author, says this, When Christians marry, we make a covenantal vow to love our spouse free, faithfully, freely, fruitfully, and forever. From this point on, every significant decision we make is informed by that vow, the pace of the organizations we serve, the commitments we make, and the focus of our heart's passions are all to be informed by that vow. To put it bluntly, if you are married, it is no longer an option for you to live as if you were single. He's saying that once we make that decision to marry, it's weighty. It informs our choices, it informs our decisions, it informs our priorities. And I'm sure everyone here who's married know it, knows it doesn't go too well when we live as if we're single. I've definitely learned the hard way from time to time. Uh, for Christian marriages, if we want to have our lives ordered correctly, first we entrust ourselves to the Lord, and then our next priority is our marriage. It's our relationship, it's our spouse. Our marriage needs to be a priority, and if you want to trace your priorities, look at how you spend your time. How you spend your time will reveal what's most important to you. Does the way you spend your time communicate that your spouse is the most important person in your life? You know, Pete Scazzaro says one way we can make that marriage our first ambition is to make what is important to us important to our spouse. He gives us two questions to guide us in this. He suggests we ask, what is important to my spouse today? What is important to my spouse today? What is on their mind? What is on their heart? What is important to them? And how can I be present to him, and to him or her that reveals Jesus' love? How can I be present today? We need to make marriage our first ambition if we're married. The second key to doing marriage God's way for your notes is to foster passion in your marriage. Foster passion in your marriage. Passion, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, is a strong and barely controllable emotion. And I believe God's desire for marriage is that we are passionately in love. Often when we think about marital love, we use words like sacrifice, fidelity, commitment, perseverance, long-suffering, and those are absolutely important but God also wants us to be passionately in love, emotion, our life, feeling, vibrancy, romance. You know, God's love for us, it's absolutely enduring, it's absolutely faithful, it's absolutely steadfast. But his covenantal love towards us, it's actually characterized by passion, by emotion, by feeling, by fire. L listen to these um, scriptures and consider the passion God has for us. Zephaniah 3.17 the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Go home and sing to your spouse. <laughs> 
And, uh, in Luke 15, when Jesus is describing the, the, father's, the, the, the father and his heart for his lost children, this is what he says in a parable. He said, so he returned home to his father, talking about the lost son. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And that, that word in the Greek, it means kissed repeatedly. It's like this overflow of passionate emotion. And Hosea 11, in the context of this, is Israel has betrayed God time and time again, and he, he should just let them go, but he loves them so much. And this is what he says. He says, oh, how can I give up on you, Israel? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you like Adma or demolish you like Zebum? My heart is torn within me, and my compassion overflows. Can you hear the emotion in the language? Can you hear the passion? Can you hear like the, the fire and, and the feeling? You know, Christian marriages are meant to reflect that same passion. Absolutely the service and the faithfulness and the loyalty and the commitment, but it's also meant to be passionate. You know, and the thing is, is often when we first start dating or we're first uh, engaged or we're first married, there is that passion there. There's a vibrancy, there's health. We're sending each other texts. But as the decades and the years pass, sadly, too often this passion, passion diminishes. But God's heart is that it wouldn't diminish, but it would actually mature and grow the longer that we are together. So how can we foster passion in our marriage? I want to talk about a few things. One thing we can do is we can pray for passion in our marriage, both on our own and with our spouse. In our own prayer life, actually going to the Lord and saying, Lord, would you fill my marriage with passion? Would you help me love my spouse as Christ loved the church? Would you do something in me? Would you bless my marriage? And then also doing it with your spouse, holding hands together, praying together, and inviting God to come and breathe life into your marriage. Start by praying for passion. Another thing we can do is uh, to foster passion is to prioritize intimacy. Uh, and by that, I mean having sex with your spouse, <laughs> making that a priority, just to spell that out. Uh, isn't it, <laughs> I try to word it really subtly, but okay. Isn't it funny that when we aren't married, the devil will do everything in his power to try to get you to have sex with your partner and then as soon as you are married, he does everything within his power to stop you having sex with your partner. <laughs> you know, intimacy matters, and it's important for couples. Uh, listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 7. This is out of the message version. Now, getting down to the questions you asked in your letter to me, first, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? Certainly, but only within a certain context. And we covered that context last week. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Man, if you're new today, you're like, what are these guys doing. Uh, marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it, and it's for the purposes of prayer and fasting, but only for such times. Then come back together again. Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. 
In the Living Translation, uh, Paul says that last version, like, like that last verse, like this: "Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time, so you can give yourself more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again, so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control." It's quite funny when I was practicing my sermon on my wife this week. I was like, First Corinthians seven. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> obviously not funny. Anyway, uh, intimacy matters. If you're taking notes and you're married, write down, have sex with my spouse. Isn't this the best sermon ever? All the guys are getting out their phones and uh, bolting it. Anyway, another thing we can do to foster passion in our marriage is to use our words to build up our spouse. Start by being thankful for your spouse. In your prayer life, thank God for your spouse. Thank God for everything good about them. Thank God for all of the qualities. Thank God. Look for reasons to be thankful for. It's been said what you appreciate, appreciates, and what you choose to be thankful for grows. Focus on the good things. Notice them, and out of the overflow of that, speak it out. Use your words to build up your spouse. Use your words to affirm. Use your words to encourage. Use your words to be thankful uh, Scazzero says this about the power of affirmation. It's been said that you find what you look for. Look for faults and you will find faults. Look for beauty and you will find beauty. Regular, sincere affirmation is one of the greatest gifts one spouse can give the other. When we look for goodness and beauty in one another and speak honest words of life over one another, we become God with skin on for the other. Affirmation heals wounds cover shame, and communicates how God sees us as infinitely valuable and lovable. A steady stream of criticism, on the other hand, sucks the life out of us and out of our relationships. It is one of the greatest killers of passion. Use your words to build up your spouse. Use your words to affirm. Use your words to be thankful. Use your words to cherish, to honor, to delight to compliment. Proverbs 16.24 says this, gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. We need to use our words to build up. Another way we foster passion in marriage is we invest in it. It's been said that the grass is greener where you water it. If we want a healthy marriage, we need to invest in it. You know, we run a few courses here at church. We run the Freedom course. We run Alpha. And quite often when I'm talking to people about it, they're really excited. They're saying, that sounds great. We also run a marriage course. But when I bring that one up, people's faces start to go sideways. Marriage course? Why would I do that? Well, my marriage is fine. People get all defensive. Like, Isn't that for people with problems? <laughs> it's not about having issues. It's about investing in your marriage and making your marriage the best possible marriage it can be. And to be honest, like if marriage is our first ministry and our first priority, that course should be in hot demand. Invest in your marriage and also do the marriage course, which we'll be advertising later today. Um, so uh, <laughs> we've talked about making marriage your first ambition, making marriage, uh, making Making marriage your first passion, and the final key to doing marriage God's way is to making your marriage the loudest gospel message you share. You know, often when we think about the gospel, we think about the words we use and the way we serve, and that's absolutely essential and important. But a Christian marriage is meant to be a gospel message in and itself, and that 
a Christian marriage is meant to point to something beyond its spouse. It's, it's meant to bear witness to. It's meant to symbol. It's meant to embody the way that Christ loves the church. And when we make our marriage our loudest gospel message, the way we do marriage is a witness to the world about God's love for the world, about God's love for the church. Uh, Paul says this in Ephesians 5. He says, As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but, is it, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. It's a call to mutual love and sacrifice. I love how the message version translates Paul's words in Ephesians 5. Uh, this, is, this is how it records it. It says, out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Out of your honor for the Lord, love your spouse. You know, when you love your spouse, you are honoring the Lord. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives as exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. Imagine, husbands, if we loved our wives that way. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. No one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are part of his body. And this is why a man leaves father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one, one flesh. This is a huge mystery. And I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself and loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. You know, the way we love our spouses can be our loudest gospel message. It can be a message to the world around the way that Christ loves the church. So just as we come to a close today, I just want to recap where we've been. We've been talking about doing marriage God's way. And we started off by saying that our first and primary calling, regardless if we're single or married, it's to entrust ourselves to the Lord. And out of the overflow of that, to love our spouse as he would have us love them. We talked about how when, when, we, when we're Christians and we're married, we have a unique opportunity to be a witness to the depth of Christ's love by the way we love and cherish our spouse. We talked about three keys to doing marriage God's way, making marriage our first ambition. What, are, what is my priorities? What is number one in my life? We talked about fostering passion in our marriages by, by praying together, praying individually, prioritizing intimacy, using our words to affirm, and investing in our marriage. And finally, we talked about making marriage our loudest gospel message, the way we love one another, letting that be a witness to the world. And just as I come to a close this morning, I want to encourage people here who are married. I want to say that God wants you to have an awesome marriage. He wants to breathe life into your marriage. He wants your marriage to be full of joy and hope and laughter and meaning. And with his help, he can transform it. 
Marriage isn't easy, but with God's help, it can flourish and thrive. And so whether your marriage is really struggling or whether your marriage is flourishing, know that God wants it better. God wants it to deepen and grow. And I encourage us as we listen to this message this morning, listen to it, listen to it for ourselves. Let's not listen to it for our spouse and think about all the things that they're not doing. Let's look within and be like, how can I be more loving? Lord, change me. Lord, transform me. We do our jobs and God, and hopefully they do their jobs. Um, <laughs> that wasn't in my notes. Um, you can disregard that. I'm not sure if that's uh, biblical or not. Anyway, God wants our church to be full of healthy, flourishing marriages. If you want a healthy church, you need healthy marriages. If you want healthy families, you need healthy marriages. If you want a healthy society, you need healthy marriages. Marriage matters. And so I encourage you, make that a priority in your life. Thank you.